you give a climate denier four more years in the White House, if you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? I know I won't well, be. I don't know why I came here tonight. Mm-hmm. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans, staring down the barrel of yet another hurricane on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Fr- Not that it needs a blanket. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the world-famous Bradcast. All right, on Friday's Bradcast, we went through a mountain of legal cases now playing out around the country concerning this year's elections as Republicans in state after state after state are dead set on making voting as difficult as possible for as many people as they possibly can, yes, even during a global pandemic. Among the stories that we covered with election attorney uh, Courtney Hostetler of freespeechforpeople.org on Friday, a federal appeals court in Florida recently flipped to a GOP majority thanks to five new federal judges appointed to it by Donald Trump. Well, that court decided that a pay-to-vote law, a poll tax, as it was described by the lower federal court judge, was just fine. For the 1.5 million former felons that the GOP legislature has now said must pay off all fines and fees before they are allowed to vote in this November's election. A federal court has said that is just fine. In Wisconsin, the state GOP majority Supreme Court there is causing havoc by ordering municipalities to stop right now, stop sending out absentee ballots, even though about 380,000 have already gone out until the court decides if all ballots will need to be completely reprinted from scratch to add the Green Party presidential ticket to them, even though the 
uh, state election officials uh, found that the Green Party should not be on the ballot, according to law. And the officials have made clear that there will be no time to do so, to reprint all the ballots and get them out and still meet state and federal deadlines for mailing out ballots in about one week. Actually, less than that at this point. State deadline, they got to go out September 17. Federal deadline says September 19. For some slightly better news, on Friday, a federal court in Texas ordered state election officials to notify voters when a perceived signature mis- mismatch occurs on the on their absentee ballots there and to allow a meaningful opportunity for those voters in Texas to come in and correct any perceived problems. That's good. That was about all of the good news we were able to scrape up on Friday. At the same time in Texas, the postmaster in Houston has disallowed the nonpartisan League of Women Voters from leaving multilingual voter registration applications in a number of post offices in the nation's fourth largest city. And a federal court in Texas denied a motion for preliminary injunction to force Texas polling places to do things like, you know, require masks and social distancing to make it safer to vote, since Texas also has one of the most restrictive absentee ballot laws in the country. Oh, yeah, and the same court uh, said no to hand-marked paper ballots for those who would prefer not to use germy-infected, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in the state. A state court in Pennsylvania denied a similar motion, And an appeal uh, has been filed with the state Supreme Court in North Carolina, where a lower court rejected a motion to block the state's new touchscreen voting systems, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, you know, just like the ones we use here in Los Angeles now. But that happens to be in one of the most uh, swingiest of swing states in the nation, North Carolina. The appeal uh, alleges imminent risk to voters' rights to free elections and equal protection under the laws if they are required to vote on the new, insecure, unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices this November in that key battleground state. So, yeah, not a lot of good legal news in that regard on Friday. You can download the show for free at bradblog.com. There are still more cases uh, working their way through the courts that we will be covering on this show in the coming days, probably tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But later on today, we'll be joined by attorney and Twitter election integrity advocate Jenny Cohen to talk about some of her greatest concerns about this year's presidential election. We're voting, by the way, is now underway already in some places, including uh, by absentee in North Carolina with the election just 50 days away. And we'll talk to Jenny about some tips that she has to maximize the odds of your vote being uh, counted, cast and counted, as hoped. And if we have time, I'd love to open up the phones to your calls with questions for Jenny and or me about voting this year at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK as we are live today in our... Uh, smoky North Hollywood uh, studio here. Uh, so line up now if you like. But first, everything, and I mean everything, is all going on at the same time. So let's begin here. Donald Trump offered a glaring new example of his refusal to put medical science before politics with a large indoor rally on Sunday night in Nevada. 
It made a mockery of social distancing while the pandemic he so tragically mismanaged has now claimed more than 194,000 American lives. It was yet another example of him failing to mind, mind even the warnings about COVID that he himself, we now know, gave in recorded interviews to journalist Bob Woodward as early as February of this year, when he warned that the the virus is incredibly lethal, that it is passed through the air. But now he's got an election to win, so apparently he does not care how many of his own supporters he may get sick and or kill at his own rallies as they gather shoulder to shoulder without masks. And of course, he does require them to sign forms that make him completely immune from liability if they do get sick at his rallies. Of course. Of course. It's never his fault, is it? Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, the uh, event in Nevada, his uh, second rally in the state in as many days, did not only risk the health of those present, thousands of whom were packed together inside a manufacturing facility in defiance of the state's ban on local gatherings of 50 people or more. It also had the potential to turn into a super spreader event that could see COVID-19 outbreaks in the wider community in the area. But Trump... Uh, hadn't held an indoor rally in nearly three months. His last one was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you probably remember, after which the city saw a surge in cases and multiple campaign staffers and Secret Service agents tested positive for the virus. The indoor rally on Sunday came after two airport hangar facilities uh, at airports had to sort of renege on their agreement with the campaign to use their hangers for the rallies after the state of Nevada notified them that they were out of compliance with the state COVID-19 requirements. Trump later claimed in an interview with the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal that he didn't think it was subject that he didn't think he was subject to the statewide 50 person gathering cap. Because, you know, the so-called law and order president does not apparently believe the law actually applies to him. And Trump attacked Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak, a Democrat, for making it, quote, impossible to hold an outdoor to hold an indoor rally. He said, I'd argue that it was, uh, well, I, I say that I would argue that it was uh, Trump who made it impossible himself because he so disastrously and criminally bungled the effort to contain the virus since it first appeared here and has been making it worse and even more deadly with his maskless rallies, among other things, ever since. If anyone, if he wants to look at somebody to blame, blame yourself, Mr. President. You screwed this up. And it was deadly. For his part, Governor Steve Sisolak blasted Trump on Sunday night for flouting the state's restrictions on large gatherings. In a statement posted to Twitter, Sisolak accused Trump of, quote, taking reckless and selfish actions that are putting countless lives in danger. With his event in Henderson on Sunday, it violated Nevada's restrictions on gatherings of more than 50 people. As usual, the governor tweeted he doesn't believe the rules apply to him. He described the rally as an insult to every Nevadan who has followed the directives, made sacrifices and put their neighbors before themselves. The governor wrote that at a time when Nevada is focused on getting our economy back on track and protecting public health, the president's actions this weekend are shameful, dangerous and irresponsible. 
The same ditching of inconvenient facts to uh, service Trump's personal whims and his political goals and his conspiracy theories will be on display, were on display, I should say, here in California on Monday. Uh, he, uh, the president is uh, visiting one of the raging western wildfires out here in California, where more than three million acres in this state alone have burned this year. And at least 22 people have died since mid-August. The president insists that the fires are caused by poor forest management because California and I guess Oregon and Washington state don't rake and sweep dead leaves enough off the forest floor. Seriously, that is his depth of knowledge on this matter. In response, uh, notes CNN, scientists argue that they have been exacerbated by climate change, the situation here, the conditions here. That's how CNN reports it. They don't tell us who is right. Is it Donald Trump that we need to sweep the leaves off the floor or is it the scientists, the hundreds of thousands of scientists who do this for a living? Or is it the president who says the record fires now up and down the entire West Coast are due to a lack of leaf leaf raking? Who knows? Don't know. CNN doesn't make that clear. But hey, at least they mention the word climate change in the article. So that's something. Someone who does know, of course, uh, the answer to that question is our own Desi Doyen, our producer here. She's also the co-host and managing editor of our Green News Report. So, Desi Doyen, uh, what is the latest now on the fires and the new hurricane barreling, I I, I guess, towards uh, Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama at this hour? Yep. Uh, And by the way, I think there's another hurricane behind that I just heard on the way over. Oh, yeah. There are five now, five hurricanes developing in the Atlantic Basin. And that has that's that I think only happened once before uh, since record keeping began in the 1850s. And by the way. This comes after just, what was it, two weeks ago, we had two hurricanes in one week slam into the Gulf Coast during the Republican National Convention. Yes, exactly. So first, let's cover the the hurricane. So Hurricane right. Sally yep. is now the earliest S-named storm in recorded history in this really historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season. Um, so we already blew past uh, hurricanes P and R, that was Paulette and Renee, which are out there in the Atlantic spinning and aren't expected to make landfall in the United States. Tropical storm Teddy is already forming and already named. It'll be a hurricane probably by the end of this week. And Vicky has already formed, and that should also be turning into a hurricane pretty soon. Uh, hurricane Sally. Landfall is forecast to be sometime on Tuesday. It threatens the Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama coast right now. I don't know what the exact trajectory of the path is for Hurricane Sally, but the National Hurricane Center says it that Sally is very slow moving and brings intense rainfall. Mm. Could be as much as two feet in some isolated areas. Slow and moving is bad because it parks the, the storm over wherever it hits and dumps just right. un, un, unspeakable amounts of rain. Remember Hurricane Harvey that parked yeah. over Houston and caused enormous flooding there. Yeah. So they warn, uh, National Hurricane Center warns that life-threatening storm surge could be as high as 11 feet. And that, of course, is something that the Louisiana is seriously trying to grapple with because there are still tens of thousands of people People who are without electricity after Hurricane Laura amid a heat wave and a pandemic. So they're trying to find enough places to evacuate.
evacuate people to and have shelters for them. They're, in fact, putting more people in these states in hotels because shelters are full and they cannot, you know, put them into group shelters. So they're innovating new places and new ways to put people into uh, out of harm's way. Incredibly enough, however, these storms are sort of secondary to these fires. Exactly. And so the the death toll from the wildfires across the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California, has risen to at least 35. And the National Weather Service has again issued red flag warnings amid high winds and dry conditions in both Oregon and some Northern California counties. Um, the August complex fire in Northern California is now by far the largest wildfire in California history. It is now more than 700,000 acres. That's more than 1,000 square miles in this one fire. It has burned 50 percent of the Mendocino National Forest. Donald Trump visited California on Monday. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. he uh, was supposed to view the de- devastation from the fires. And again, he tried to blame the Western states for their own fires. Uh, he's still referencing that conversation that he misunderstood with the president of Flint, Finland two years ago. King, I think. Wasn't it the king? Uh, no, something? I think he's the president, president of Finland. Uh, okay. And, and uh, you know, he, that's the, the unnamed official well, that he keeps Well, he naming. keeps blaming Blaming uh, California for not raking the leaves off their forest, but he doesn't note that six. What is it? Sixty percent of the forests actually out west, at least in California, are actually federal forests. Yes, in California, sixty percent. So that's thirds. his job to cl- to rake the leaves. Exactly, and there has not been enough funding to the Forest Service to do the kind of forest management that forest scientists would be required. And no. Forest scientists say you do not need to rake the forests. It's not the problem with the leaves. It's the problem with a century of uh, fire suppression policy that has been promulgated by the Forest Service and copied in the states as well. And Governor Newsom has implemented a very deep and comprehensive strategy, but that's a both medium and long-term strategy, but it requires time and it requires funding. So uh, um, on Friday, Governor Newsom rebuked climate science deniers and uh, said, listen, this is climate change and we need to address this and pay attention to it. And fire and forest management is just one component of it. Climate change causing these mega heat waves and these mega forest fires are is the driver of these mega forest fires. So um, on Monday, in that briefing with Tr- President Trump, yeah. Governor Newsom thanked Trump for the emergency disaster declaration and funding. And he even told Trump that, hey, two thirds of California's forests are managed by the federal government. And Trump ignored him and just kept going on and repeating the same stupid misunderstanding of forest science. Of course. And then a science, then a state fire official tried to engage him on solutions to the fire crisis, and he then Trump just straight out denied that climate change even exists. Federica, let's do number two. And priority is vegetation management, but I think we want to work with you to really recognize the changing climate and what it means to our forests, and actually work together with that science. That science is going to be key because if we. If we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you, wish, just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Oh, that was Jesus. Yes. It'll start getting cooler. Oh, science doesn't agree with you. Oh, science doesn't know. It's right. so it's gonna climate change is just gonna go away. You watch someday it's gonna just disappear. 
Just like the COVID crisis, it's going to just go away. Right. Yeah, because science doesn't know. Now, I should say also that Democratic presidential nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, also had remarks on the California fires on Monday. He called Trump a climate arsonist for making climate change worse and in rolling back U.S. climate policies and pollution standards that protected public health. And uh, Biden also reiterated his pledge to invest $2 trillion in climate solutions and rebuild for resiliency against all these coming climate impacts and the ones that we're seeing today. Last week, uh, and this was last week before the fires even got larger and larger, uh, but Nick Nausler, a uh, predictive services meteorologist with the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, Idaho, Uh, said that this event is unprecedented due to the number of large, fast-moving wildfires over such a broad region. He says it sets it apart from all other uh, fires in in modern times, that uh, multiple fires made 20-plus mile runs in 24 hours over the uh, past few days last week in California, Oregon, and Washington. And most of the uh, fires are, are making massive runs in timber and burning tens of thousands of acres and in some cases hundreds of thousands of plus acres in one single day. The sheer amount of fire, he said, on the landscape is surreal. And no one I have talked to can remember anything like it. But don't worry. It'll cool down. It'll all just go away. And yet, while Donald Trump, of course, is pretending that climate change will just miraculously go away, just like he told you the coronavirus would before it ended up killing almost 200,000 Americans, with, a, with double that number, by the way, most likely set to die in this country before the end of this year. What's the media's excuse for failing to uh, link our climate crisis to what we are now seeing? Because they are doing a terrible job of it. Perhaps on tomorrow's show, I'll get into some of the details where they are failing both at the network level and on the uh, uh, cable news level. Just doing a terrible job of informing the nation about what we need to know, especially as we are, you know, 50 days out from an election. But this failure by our corporate media, it's just one of the reasons, a very big one, uh, but it's one of the reasons that a climate denier like Donald Trump could ever become president of the United States in the first place. Failure after failure after failure by the media to educate the electorate. It's pretty simple. Educate the electorate on what they need to know before it comes to an election. On that score, uh, let's take a quick break. We will be joined uh, by a friend of mine who has been working her rear end off over these past four years to do exactly that, to help voters understand what they need to know and what they can try and do about it before our next election, which is underway right now. Twitter superstar and election integrity advocate and hero Jenny Cohn joins us next on the broadcast. Buckle up and feel free to give us a call if you have any questions about casting your vote this year and how best to maximize the odds of it being counted as cast. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Thank you, Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. What the 
public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. they wake up i hope they wake up welcome back to the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com with you here uh attorney and election integrity activist jenny cohen has been on a tear of late regarding cellular modems which have been installed in precinct ballot scanners in key swing states like Florida and Michigan and Wisconsin. We reported uh, a number of times on this over the past year or so, particularly after it was discovered by uh, researchers and reported by election integrity reporter Kim Zetter, who was on the show to talk about it at the time, that some of these states actually had no idea that not only were modems installed in their voting and tabulation systems, but some of them uh, had modems, or at least their their back-end central tabulation systems were actually connected to the internet all year round, even when elections weren't going on. And many of the election officials had no idea that their private voting system vendor had actually installed their systems that way. Jenny Cohn on the Twitters released uh, this new video over the weekend to raise awareness of this concern and to push for her hashtag remove the modems campaign. In 2016, people in positions of trust told us it would be almost impossible for hackers to change the outcome of a national election because voting machines supposedly never connect to the Internet. Those things are not connected to the Internet. I know of no jurisdiction where voting machines are connected to the Internet. This makes it nearly impossible for a remote hacker. Voting machines are not connected to the Internet. Those are not connected. Voting machines themselves are not connected to the Internet. They were wrong. Election security experts say that virtually all electronic vote tallies can be hacked through the Internet, even if the voting machines themselves don't connect to the Internet. Election management system workstations sometimes are connected to the Internet, or, uh, or the data that's programmed into them passes through an Internet-connected system. Moreover, many precinct ballot scanners include wireless modems that connect the scanners and the county central tabulators to the Internet. The states of Wisconsin, Florida, Michigan, Illinois, and Rhode Island include these wireless modems. In February, the GOP blocked three election security bills, including one that would have banned these wireless modems. We, the voters, are democracy's last line of defense. We must demand that election officials in battleground states and beyond remove the modems before November. Before it's too late. That new video from uh, released by Jenny Cohn of ProtectOurVotes.com cites We the Voters as democracy's last line of defense. 
And I couldn't agree more, especially right now. Uh, There are a lot of folks out there who believe that uh, Democratic attorneys will be there to fight this fight for us somehow. We've seen, however, in election after election that they will not be. For example, after the 2016 election, when we had uh, perhaps the greatest surprise ending to a presidential election in our nation's history, when Trump appeared to have barely won in three key states, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, that had not gone to the Republican presidential candidate in decades, uh, when just an average of two votes cast for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump or even recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of recorded for Donald Trump in each precinct in those three states, that would have resulted in Hillary Clinton becoming the next president. And yet the Clinton campaign and the hundreds of Democratic attorneys they promised would be on the ground, which Democrats always promised to have, Uh, and they're doing it again for this year's election, those attorneys, well, they failed to demand a hand count of the ballots in any of those three states back in 2016. We still don't know if Donald Trump actually won the 2016 election. That year, it fell to the Green Party's Jill Stein to seek a hand count, and her legal team was rejected in various ways in all three states. In Michigan, for example, it was determined that Stein did not have the standing to seek a hand count because she could not have won the race no matter how it came out. So why didn't Hillary contest? Well, I don't know. I think she may regret it now. But in any event, we're now hearing the same exact thing from Biden's team. According to The New York Times' uh, Shane Goldmacher today, Joe Biden's campaign is establishing a major new legal operation, bringing in two former solicitors general and hundreds of lawyers in what the campaign billed as the largest election protection program in presidential campaign history. Feel better? Here to discuss that and her campaign to to, uh, hashtag remove the modems and uh, perhaps offer some actually helpful tips that voters need to know about right here, right now, this year, is Jenny Cohen. She's an attorney, an election integrity advocate, and Twitter activist in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her articles on election security have been published by the New York Review of Books, Who, What, Why, Salon, TYT Investigates, and yes even at bradblog.com. Oh, Jenny, welcome to the welcome back to the broadcast, Jenny. Hi, Brad. My uh, video sounded really good on the radio. Oh, it, well, it's a good it. it's a good video on the radio or on the Twitters. So, thank you for making it. Hey, uh, I hope I hope you're in one piece today uh, as everything is sort of coming down on us at once. Most importantly though, at the moment, how are you holding up in the Smoky Bay area? Are you safely away from the fires right now? Yeah, we're we're not in danger of the flames actually hitting us, but we had the really disconcerting orange sky like we saw in Australia, and we're definitely seeing in Oregon now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the air quality was really bad, but you know, in Oregon, it's so bad that it was off the ch- off the EPA chart. Like hazardous is five hundred mm-hmm. something, and they were at seven hundred, which is really terrifying. And wow. so, in, where I am in Oakland, California, mm-hmm. it was. Not hazardous, but dangerous. Well, don't so. be worried. Uh, Donald Trump yeah. is here in California on Monday. He said it's all going to cool down. It's all going to just go away like a miracle. So don't worry. 
Uh, okay, let's. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Let's uh, start with your campaign to hashtag remove the modems. Uh, why is that, why is this such a concern to you right now, Jenny? And and have you heard from any of the election officials in the states with modems installed in their voting systems? Uh, that they have any intention of actually getting rid of them before Election Day, much less before early voting starts in, you know, any minute at this point? No, I haven't heard from any of them. Uh, when I first started talking about this a few years ago, mm-hmm. so this was before the midterm elections, after I read Kim Zetter's piece mm-hmm. and a few others that were on point, um, I would tag election officials and... Wisconsin elect, the Wisconsin Election Board, whoever runs their Twitter account, actually would reply. But they, you know, they would say things like, "Oh, it's only going to be connected to the internet for a few seconds," <laughs> and then I'd get an expert to reply to say, "Well, that's plenty of time, you know, for especially for a nation state." But mm-hmm. you know, people are waiting for those transmissions on election night, and mm-hmm. they'll just wait until you you click it on, and then they can get in. And um, they didn't seem to care. So Bloomberg had. Done a story not that long ago with Michigan's Democratic Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, mm-hmm. where she said this was in I think January or February that she would look into possibly removing the modem. So she was aware of the concern. She was aware they connect to the internet. She was aware experts recommend against them, but she never got around to it apparently. And I'm very concerned because her advisory board. Uh, the two the co-chairs. One is great, Alex Halderman, who mm-hmm. I have no doubt probably advised her to remove the modem. Yeah. But the other one is our friend David Becker, who's oh. featured in my Remove the Modems oh. video, for providing testimony that, you know, was very misleading. I don't know if it was in, that it was intentionally misleading, but it misled nonetheless. Can I, can I, said, can I break in here just yeah. to have a thought or sure. two on David Becker, who I believe to be loathsome and irresponsible? Well, let me just say that, I, he, you know, he, he's regarded as an expert. He used to work for People for the American Way and some other groups, some otherwise, you know, good progressive uh, groups, uh, but he broke them before he was pushed out there. Uh, he wants every American in the country to vote on a, on an electronic voting system. He's been pushing for that for years. Uh, he and s- some other, you know, so-called experts like him seem to suggest that your concerns, Jenny Cohen, about modems in the systems, that, that those are overblown. Now, Becker, as you noted, he was one of the voices we heard at the top of your video testifying before Congress at the time. Uh, I believe that voting systems, I think that was from 2016, uh, before 2016, that voting systems were never connected to the Internet. Obviously, he is wrong. So what's up with that? What's up with him? What's up with his his criticism of you for well, pointing out he's fair, wrong? He did say he did say to his knowledge. <laughs> oh, I he see. No voting machi- machines that connect to the Internet. And uh-huh. therefore, it would be almost impossible to hack them remotely. And the thing about that testimony, and what I hope comes through in the video, is that even without the modems, his testimony was incredibly misleading, because as Halderman has, you know, Halderman, Alex Halderman has made really clear on a number of different videos that I've seen, mm-hmm. um, that all voting machines have to receive programming before every election from the centralized election management system, and in many cases, those centralized election management computers connect to the Internet. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't, they receive input and updates and things from other systems that connect to the Internet. Yep. So even if the voting machines themselves didn't connect, the notion that that would make it almost impossible to hack them remotely was a farce. Yep. 
to any actual expert. Um, I'm actually not sure many people do call him an expert, he, election security expert anyway. He, I know he calls himself an election security expert. I haven't heard others call him that except, you know, maybe the Georgia Secretary of State. <laughs> yes, but, um, who he's now apparently working for, the uh, Georgia uh, Secretary of State. Yeah. So it gives yeah, you some I, idea. I know he, gets, he, he is a paid consultant for the Georgia Secretary of State, which to my knowledge does not have these modems, by the way. It's, they have other problems. But um, the other thing that was misleading about his testimony, and also to be fair, it wasn't just him. It was James Comey and um, another woman who Becker worked used to work with, I'm told, and another woman and the head of uh, someone on the EAC. Um, that some of the voting machines in 2016 did connect to the internet, mm-hmm. and the truth is, real election security experts suspected this all the, all along. They knew about the modems, and that they knew that the modems likely were connecting them to the internet, mm-hmm. and. There is a story there, and no, has been no accountability as to why all of these people testified to Congress that they, they apparently didn't, either they didn't know that the modems connected to the Internet, why didn't they know? Somebody had to tell them this. Where did they get this information, and why were they called to testify as experts on this issue when clearly they didn't know what they were talking about? What you, is, there's been no accountability, and so that is was part of what propelled me to make this video because I'm very concerned that I, I see these same people getting asked onto forums and Becker getting $50 million from Mark Zuckerberg to do supposedly election security. I'm just very worried that we're going to be gaslit again in 2020 if the electronic totals somehow favor Trump we're all going to be told to pack our bags and go home. There's nothing to see here. He just won. He was a legitimate president, period, which is something that Susan Hennessy said right after, said in 2017, sort of in that same group, the sort of, I, I don't... Well, instead of... Instead of... Mindset, and I was trying to call for transparency with this video mm-hmm. so that... We don't have everybody um, folding up and going home. What it's people need to defying loss. What people need to understand, and at the time when uh, all of those clips, oh, the machines are never connected to the internet. Of course, as you probably can imagine, Jenny, my head was exploding on this it must show. Have been exploding. Oh my God! And we were trying to point out every time uh, these uh, jackasses said that over and over, and it was, you know, it was a bunch of Democrats uh, by and large who were saying that these machines are never connected to the internet. You can't have a presidential election, complete and utter nonsense. So when you say, Jenny, that, oh, when the electronic uh, results report one thing, uh, that are people going to accept it or are they going to say, no, we would like to see the evidence, the hand-marked paper ballots, where available, uh, to determine who actually won and who lost. Do, uh, do you get any sense that either the Democrats uh, or just Americans at large at this point understand that much and will insist upon that this year? No, I don't. I think Hillary Clinton understands it now, and I think that... What makes you say that? Um, I've had a communication with her, and mm-hmm. I do believe... I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so I, I do believe that she understands the importance of, um, of reviewing the hand-marked paper ballots at this point. And she under- I think she understands the importance of the Democrats not boxing themselves into a corner where they will look like hypocrites if they need to file an election challenge based mm-hmm. on the electronic totals or any other aspect of the election, actually. Well, so, um, but, uh, 
more importantly, does the public, I don't know how much power she has over the situation or influence even over the situation at this point. And so the bigger question, we need a lot of, we may need the public to demand that they not fold everything up and go home. And I wasn't getting, you know, my Twitter account is pretty big, but it wasn't, the message wasn't reaching enough people. And someone not that long ago, his name is Royce, and he's a, he's a friend of mine, and he suggested, I was on, a, on the Stuttering John podcast, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, if you embed videos, it goes a lot further on Twitter than just YouTube or tweets. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he tried it for me a few times, and, you know, it would get like 30,000 views, whereas my most watched YouTube video ever was at 3,000. So mm-hmm. that was what... And then, then there, you know, the Midas Touch and Don Winslow make these incredible videos, and they get millions of views. And I thought, well, let me give it a try. So we don't have millions of views, but it did get almost a half a million on version one, and I'm now on uh, version three. Okay. So we'll see. It's, it's um, you know, if it's getting to half a million people or so, that's pretty good. It is pretty and, good. And, um, you know, a lot of this... Uh, as I've had to say over the years, a lot of this is about educating the electorate. It is not, there's, you know, there's no one particular silver bullet that is going to save us other than the electorate understanding that when uh, Joe Biden says, oh, I concede, um, the voters can say, we don't care if you succeed, Mr. Vice President. This is not your election to concede. We would like to see the evidence. I know you uh, recently uh, put together a piece at Medium uh, that I want to get to here on uh, uh, tips to mitigate threats to our votes and voter registrations before November. And I'll again, uh, if we have time here, I'll invite folks in to ask uh, questions to either Jenny and or myself at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. I want to get to some of those tips, but very, very quickly, um, I mentioned the article from the New York Times today, Jenny, uh, reporting that Biden and the Democrats plan to have a, a, quote, unprecedented hundreds of lawyers available on the ground this year to protect the election. Um, does that give you any particular peace of mind this year? It, it I mean, it, no, it just raises questions for me. Um, I'm not at all optimistic that that encompasses the electronic components of our election system. So, I mean, I'm glad, sure, that if they're going to be uh, fighting for the absentee ballots and, you know, the signature match and all of that, because I have no doubt that what the Trump team wants to do is win the electronic total on Election Day and then try to run out the clock or do some of, something else with the signature match so that we mm. don't get all of them counted mm-hmm. or that if it goes to a recount, it gets shut down prematurely. Um, is that, of course, you know, vote is, by mail, the totals are sent to that election management system, too. Mm-hmm. So there's an electronic component there, and that's just what really concerns me is the blind spot that the Democratic Party seems to have for the electronic component of potential seating. What, what's, what is your greatest concern uh, about this year's elections? If you had to pick one, and I know that it's, that it's hard, uh, and I'll say that mine is uh, ransomware attacks, which we have seen on uh, cities and counties and states over the past year that completely cripple the jurisdiction's computer networks uh, until a ransom is paid in Bitcoin or something like that to, to the anonymous hacker or hackers. That would, of course, cripple any jurisdictions that relied on computers to vote or electronic poll books for voters to check in and vote, like here in Los Angeles, shamefully this year. Uh, What what is your biggest concern this year as we head into November 3rd? 
Well, I'm going to cheat because it's a three-headed tiger. And I, I, I've done a few posts where I did the three stooges, but I called it the three scourges of election security. Mm-hmm. I think we have a triple threat. Electronic poll books are kind of a new thing. I mean, they've been around, but their use has spiked enormously since 2016. Uh, remote access software, I'm not at all convinced it's all been removed by any means, especially from uh, Diebold systems that are still in use. Diebold itself has been dissolved and under the umbrella of ESNS. But and that's the remote access software would be software that is on the the voting uh, either the voting systems or the uh, the, the central the tabulation system, system the, the county central tabulators that allows someone to easily access the, the system and change votes. Yeah, yeah, that and then the modems as well. So those three things, I think, the electronic poll books and there oh and then BMDs also the, the uh, maybe I put remote access and modems as as a combined. Uh, uh, scorch. Anyway, and then the ballot marking devices. So I'm very worried that we're using, we have sort of a new system that's being deployed, which involves uh, wife, often Wi-Fi or Bluetooth connected electronic poll books that are being used to encode these activation cards, which then go into a new touchscreen voting machine called a ballot marking device. Mm-hmm. And it could include the voter information. I don't know. What's on, we don't know what's on those cards, right? Mm-hmm. But you need that to work in order to activate these new touchscreen voting machines that I'm already worried about. And I'm very worried that that combination could enable, yeah, the Internet connectivity um, goes out in targeted areas if there are rolling blackouts and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have to be obvious either, just connectivity problems like we saw all over L.A. County with this type of setup, e-poll books activating touchscreen voting machines. And the e-poll books had connectivity issues all over Los Angeles County. Yep. Could have um, and the e-public vendors... If only they, someone they had warned about that before it actually... Ha- okay, go ahead. Yeah, because yeah, we I were... Know. The e-public <laughs> vendors has sort of been this um, sleeper story, but, you know, they're pretty shady, too. And the number one e-public vendor is a former Republican election official whose product developer is a religious right guy that campaigned for the president of the Phyllis Shafley Eagles that opposes the Equal Rights Amendment. And, and, and by the way... Them yeah. with a huge portion of activating our voting machines that count our votes. And, and it, it means that if when those systems go down, as we know, uh, at least I remember all too well from out here in, on Super Tuesday, March 3rd, uh, when those systems go down or they don't work or they slow down, people can't vote. And exactly. votes are suppressed. And now we're using electronic poll books without paper backups, in case they fail, all over the country. And even if you had those paper backups, you still can't, if they go down, you still can't use them to activate the voting machines. You, so then you also need to either know how to do it manually, which I've seen instances where supposedly the poll workers should have known how to do it manually but didn't. So yep. they may very well not be trained to do it manually. There's a lot going on. Or they'll forget. And it takes a lot longer to do it manually, I guess. Yep. And then on top, so you really need backup hand-marked paper ballots, too, for the Ugh, for the, these ballot marking machines. So, I mean, we do have several different vulnerabilities going on here, mm-hmm. and one is sort of the e-poll book, BMD combination, and frankly, either one of them alone is a problem. The e-poll books or the BMDs by themselves is a problem. Put them together, that's a problem. And then I'm, I am very worried about this remote access and modems because, I mean, there's nothing more direct than being able to remote into the central tabulator, whether it's with remote access software or hacking in via the Internet, yeah, you just go in there and you just change the county totals. And, and you know, I guess you, the, mm-hmm. the problem that we have, so I've, I have long advocated, as you know, and you too, for hand-marked paper ballots. 
states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Florida have them. So, you know, you at first blush, you might think, okay, well, we're good in those battleground states. But guess again, because they have laws that don't let you really look at them meaningfully, yep. even in a recount. That's right. So Florida's manual recount law is really not a manual recount. It's primarily you rescan the, the you rescan the ballot, so it's an electronic recount. Yep. If you have if you have hacked scanners, you just or hacked tabulator, you get the same result. The only thing you look at would be the by hand is the undervotes and the overvotes, and even then, you only get to do that if the if they're within 025 percent of each other. All oh. right. So. Otherwise, it's completely, I think, just a rescan. Yeah, believe. Yeah, and no, it it is, and that's one of the things that happened in uh, Wisconsin. They left it up to the jurisdiction. Oh, you can count them by hand. This is in 2016 when the Green Party uh, asked yeah. for a recount. Uh, you can count them by hand, or you can count them by machine. It's up to you. And of course, the largest jurisdictions in Wisconsin, in a state where you know tr- Trump won supposedly by, I think it was about 20,000 votes. The largest jurisdictions all just ran them through the machines again. Did not bother to count them, even though they had hand-counted paper ballots, which led me to my perhaps most famous refrain after elections, count the goddamn ballots. It is not that hard. Count them by human beings. All right, Jenny, I got to take a quick break here, uh, and we will see if we have time to get to some calls. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Speaking to the uh, the great Jenny Cohn, you may know her from the Twitters. She is Jenny Cohn one there on the Twitters, and you did uh, offer some tips to mitigate threats to our votes and uh, registrations before November. I want to try to get to some of those, too. So a lot more straight ahead on the Bradcast. Jenny, stay uh, stay put. We'll be back with you in a second. I'm Brad. This is your Bradcast. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself... Thank you. Scary. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Jenny Cohen, attorney and election integrity advocate. Uh, and uh, Twitter hero, as far as I'm concerned, getting out the word about uh, concerns, whether it's the modems in uh, uh, voting systems around the country or the uh, lack of human beings actually bothering to count ballots, the results afterwards, leaving it to computers. What could possibly go wrong? I'm going to link to her uh, article at Medium uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, tips to mitigate threats to our votes and voter registrations before November. November, um, because I want to try to get to at least a call or two here. Jenny, is that all right with you? Of course, yeah. All right. Let me go to uh, first to Andrew in L.A. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the broadcast. You got a question for Jenny Cohn? Yeah, I sure do. Um, and by the way, I'm out in the, uh, the desert area, Inland Empire now, sweating it out here. But anyway, um, um, yeah, I just heard the, the beginning of the interview so uh, I heard that uh, the voting machines are sounds like they're all in doubt. They may 
could all be connected to the internet, which makes mm-hmm. them all hackable, and not even the uh, nobody knows, not even you know all these people hearing on the news, the uh, states, uh, the states don't know the officials, and only you know, Brad, and been telling us about this, and your author, and the manufacturers, and and maybe a small number of people. Is that true? And then so does that mean all voting machines are in question right now, and we must either count all the votes by hand. Or if we can't do that, we just still must rely on the popular whatever, what we're hearing out there mm-hmm. for uh, those who are flipping the switches to, to put it the way the people want it. And, Let me, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Let me uh, ask Jenny uh, her response to that question. Thanks for the call, Andrew. Yeah, so it's not all of the voting machines that are connecting to the Internet. It is, though, in several battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Florida. It's also some county. It's some counties in those states. Uh, some counties also in Texas, Tennessee, Minnesota, and a few others mm-hmm. that have these modems that are connecting the voting machines to the internet. So there is that. And then the modems also connect the county um, tab, the aggregation systems that receive the precinct totals and and aggregate them together. Those connect to the internet to receive the modem transmission. It, it should also so be bad. Po- yeah. But, no, there's more to this, though. Yeah. I mean, voting, even without that, uh, even without these modems, uh, and even without Internet connectivity, certainly insiders have always been able to hack voting machines. Yep. You, especially, and especially if, you, if they have access to that county central tabulator. But what this does is it opens up the attack surface um, more than it already was, and in particular it makes it easier for foreign nations like Russia or Iran or China to to gain access as well. But or I don't me, or me. You can also gain access without these modems. It just makes yeah. it easier. It makes it a lot easier. It kind of makes it suspiciously easier. It's like rolling out the red carpet, and it's just unnecessary. And it doesn't take a nation state. It can take anybody. You know, it was, it, it was a guy, a 17-year-old kid on, on Twitter uh, who, who was able to put out tweets and raise a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the name of Barack Obama, Bill Gates, all of these people just a few it's, weeks ago. It's it, very true, and yeah. I, that is an important point, but I do want to say I think Russia is a real threat that sometimes mm-hmm. I think some of us in the election integrity community are so eager to point out it doesn't have to be Russia. This has always been a problem. Our, you know, the potential compromise of our elections has always been a problem, and that is true. But it's coming out more and more. There was a book, there's a book called Rigged by David mm-hmm. Scheimer that was published fairly recently in which it says that in August 2016, um, the Obama administration and had, the intelligence community had confirmed that Russia actually was in a position to change vote tallies in some mm-hmm. places. And the Obama administration was freaking out. And this is according to four senior former um, members of the Obama administration. And... You know, we have a lack of transparency going. We weren't told that. I think Russia is a real threat. And what's scary about it is even if you had Republicans, say, who, you know, even let's just say that there were domestic actors who were happy enough to rig elections but are maybe not happy with Trump for putting babies in cages, and that was kind of a final straw for them. If we've now invited Russia to the party, it it just, it it makes it worse. It, It
it was bad enough as it was. It well, was terrible as it let was. me say this only because we're short on time, Jenny. I, yeah. I don't uh, disagree with you. My concern is that it actually does not take a nation state. It could anyone could do it. And my other concern is that even if it is not done, the fact that we have lost the transparency to oversee the results to know, you know, for example, by counting handmarked paper ballots, that leaves the door open if, if Joe Biden wins. There's nothing that stops Donald Trump or anybody else from saying it was stolen by a hacker, by China, by Iran, by Russia. And that's why we need oversight, uh, public right. oversight. That's where we, the people, come in. Do we have time for, uh, uh, well, one, uh, I, I think uh, somebody wanted to know, was that Gina in uh, L.A.? Do we have time? Okay, yeah, let me see if I can get to her. Uh, Gina, very quickly, uh, welcome to the broadcast in Los Angeles. What's up, Gina? Yes, I was talking to Debbie, and I was asking her in regards to my melon. Uh, ballot that I requested for the first time this year for my husband and I, mm -hmm. that when I called the Registrar of Voters in San Bernardino County, mm -hmm. uh, because I was I can track it online, and where it, it really didn't give me a status update on it, and obviously it, they couldn't update it because it was prior to October 5th when they were going when they're going to be ready to be mailed out. I was wondering how can I track my ballot. How can I track my vote? Everything is trackable these days. You can track your packet. Yeah, there's a, there, Gina, I'll, I'm going to cut you off because I'm short on time, but there is a ballot tracker that you should be able to sign up for at the Secretary of State's office in California. Not all states have that. California does. You put in your, your name, your phone number, your email, if that's how you prefer to be contacted, or by text, and they will get theoretically, they will get in touch with you. They can't tell you how your vote was counted, but they can tell you that it, your ballot is on the way or it has been counted in one way or another. I hope that helps, Gina, and I'm sorry to be short here, but I got to get to, uh, I got to get out, unfortunately. Let me take one more very quick from a guy who's really good at fast questions, Mo in Long Beach. Go ahead, give us uh, give us your thought for uh, Jenny Cohn, Mo. Uh, I ain't got no questions. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Trump's on the way out. He is gone. Don't worry about it. Talk to you later. <laughs> well, that was short, and that was very comforting to me anyway. But that's not, yeah, that's going to be ugly no matter what the official result is. And actually, you know, you ask what my biggest concern is. I mean, the overarching concern that I think we both share is that there won't be any transparency about the result, and therefore we won't ever really know. I strongly so, um, suggest you follow Jenny Cohn on the Twitters. You will find her at Jenny Cohn One. She's doing really important work there. Uh, you can also follow her at protectourvotes.com. And Jenny, I will link to your video and to your article at Medium with tips on how to mitigate the threats to our votes. Never enough time. But Jenny, thank you. Thank Great. you, Brad. Thank Back you. Soon. Keep up the good work. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator today, Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.